Isaiah chapter 65. We got down to the third verse where it uh, spoke of, we'll read it again and get our connection. Isaiah 65 says, A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick. If you'll remember, we referred to the book of Exodus where God said that His altars would be made of unhewn stone and that man should not lift up his hand, a tool upon it, because it would pollute it. And so here they were actually doing exactly the opposite of what God had told them to do. And they were sacrificing upon uh, pagan altars. And these altars of brick were dedicated to idols. And so this is a chapter here, the first eight verses, that has to do with God's divine rebuke of such apostates as they were. In the next verse, we'll see more abominable things happening. It says, "...which remaineth among the graves, and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh, and broth of abominable things is in their vessels." In other words, they consult with, with uh, spirits. They try to take whole conversations with uh, the dead, which God has forbidden in the law. And also to eat of swine's flesh was forbidden in the law. But they probably ate it in idolatrous sacrifices and making it more abominable than it was by God just saying that it should not be eaten. But if you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says in verse 9, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn after to do after the abominations of those nations. 18 verse 9. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits. See, God is against all of that. Or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all the that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. And he goes on and on. And he tells about this being against God's law and against His will. And then in Leviticus 11 verse 7 it says, The swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, Yet he cheweth not the good, he is unclean unto you. They had to have both the divided hoof and had to, uh, the animals that were clean had to chew the good as well. And so there were unclean animals as well as clean animals. There were also these things that they were not to do. Hold your place in Isaiah 65. And let's read that verse again. Which remain among the graves and lodge in the mount, monuments, which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things is in their vessels. So we have all the things that God condemns they're doing. By the way, these things are still condemned, especially the uh, holding communication or trying to communicate with the dead and evil spirits, wizards and uh, soothsayers and etc. These are condemned by the Lord. Now, the Jews were forbidden to eat the flesh of swine. And of course, we know that in the New Testament, we find that uh, God has declared some of these things are not forbidden to you and I as Christians because all things are clean if it be received with thanksgiving and in prayer, as God's Word tells us. Now then, 
actually in the Old Testament there was, and originally the swine carried a, a very dreaded disease. And not only for the reason that God gives, ceremonially they were unclean, but uh, they were very dangerous to eat of the, of the flesh of swine. And it can be transmitted to men as well. And nowadays our uh, way of uh, feeding and taking care of hogs and pigs is a lot different than it was in the Old Testament days. But be that as it may, God's Word did condemn it for the Jews to eat. And remember, Peter said that when the Lord told him to rise, slay, and eat, and he says, Lord, I've never eaten anything uh, that is unclean. No unclean thing has touched my mouth. And, of course, God was giving Peter a lesson as far as the Gentiles were considered to be unclean. And he was giving him a lesson to get him to see that even the unclean Gentiles, the heathen, all people that were not Jews, were to be cleansed by the blood of Christ and be accepted in the family of God. And so there was a spiritual lesson in there as well. Paul speaks of those that are in these last days commanding to abstain from meats, forbidding to marry. And he goes on to say, for there's it is all to be received with thanksgiving and sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now, I'm not saying it's healthy for you. I'm not saying that's the proper thing to do. I'm just saying that there is a difference between the law and grace and between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And probably all of us would be better off if we didn't need it. I might throw that in. But we get into this now. Isaiah 65 and verse 5. It says, Which say, Stand by thyself. Come not near to me. These people that worshipped in such an ungodly way, they say, Stand by thyself. Come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. They thought that they were cleansed even by these unclean sacrifices and by the way they were living. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. Despite their clear violation of God's law and God's word, these people had an attitude of spiritual superiority because of their actions. Can you imagine people being so ungodly in what they were doing, the worship that they were participating in, and then turning around and thinking they were better than anyone else? And that's not new today. We have people of the same nature. We have people today that, that uh, worship in a way that's not pleasing to God, and yet they think they're better than anyone else, holier than anyone else. And they're, they're various cults are that way. In other words, they won't have anything to do with you and I after all, we believe in a local church, and they don't believe in a local church. And they're so much holier. But they're worshiping in, in such a way as to uh, deny the truths of God's Word. And yet, they pretend to be holy and good, and you and I are really nothing in their sight, as far as they're concerned. That's where we stand. Which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. What does he mean to smoke? To God, this flagrant violation of his law and the attitudes that accompany these people are like smoke in his nostrils that irritate him. It's not like a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God as the Old Testament sacrifices were to be. It says that they are unto God a sweet-smelling savor, but they were not that. They were irritating to him. Look at verse 6. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. God has recorded their guilt down in front of him and awaiting 
the coming judgment when the charges will be uh, read out. And you know, God has a book concerning all of us. In fact, he's going to judge by the book one of these days. Revelation 20 and verse 12. Remember, it says the books are open. Look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. It says, And I saw the dead small and great stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You know, God keeps a real accurate record of everything. Sometimes you and I find it very fascinating that we can punch a few buttons on a computer and it remembers everything that, golly, we just don't. And you know, they put more memory into each computer nowadays, so you'll have a lot more. But uh, God has a, He has the greatest uh, memory in all the universe because He remembers everything. There's never been a thing from the beginning of creation uh, time till now, and even in the future, he remembers what has not yet come to pass is in his mind and memory. You and I can remember a few things. We're trying to memorize a memory verse. He that troubleth in his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. Right? Proverbs 29.11. Is that it, Randy? And so... We, we try to work on our memory. But uh, the thing about it is, God remembers and He has it even written down. You know, we always say, write it down. And it's written down in the book. He has the records. And they're true records. And He says He's going to recompense, even recompense into their bosom. In their bosom, the loose flap of cloth or clothing often used to carry things. They will receive their just desserts. And then in verse 7, it speaks of their iniquities. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, will have burned, uh, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore, will I measure their former work into their bosom. In other words, God's going to, to remember it all. Their sin had been accumulating for many ages. You know, in the New Testament it says, they lay up treasure up unto themselves wrath against the day of wrath in the book of Romans. In other words, just keep building it up and piling it up so that one day uh, that wrath will have to, of God will uh, come upon us if we are not saved, of course. And the ones that are saved will be exempt from the wrath and judgment of God. But it says they treasures up themselves against themselves, wrath against the day of wrath and the, uh, against the righteous judgment of God. So God is going to judge. And it been, their sin had been accumulating for many ages. And now God is going to repay them in the full. In the Old Covenant, the sins of the fathers were felt by succeeding generations. By the way, I want you to look at that scripture in Exodus 20, verse 5. And we'll talk about that. Because you've heard people say that God... Uh, passes the sins of the fathers to the children. But I want you to notice something about that verse of Scripture. It's Exodus 20, verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. He's talking about bowing down to graven images and uh, false gods and idols. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting, now look at this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation, now then, of them that hate me. 
Sometimes we fail to emphasize that last statement. Of them that hate me. Someone says, well, the children have to pay for the sins of the fathers even if they're good. No, it says of them that hate me. And you see, when, when a child is brought up in the wrong way, and then that child, as well as his father, hated God, and then he has, a, has children and they hate God because of the trend that's set, and the, and the uh, teachings that's gone before, then he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. In other words, sometimes it just keeps passing on, doesn't it? But God has a way of holding every man individually accountable. And you look at, let's contrast this from what we find in the book of uh, Ezekiel chapter 18. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 18, and let's begin to read. Begin with verse 19. Ezekiel 18, verse 19. Yet ye say, or yet say ye, why doth not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? This is a question. You have this? This is very important because many people are confused about it. Ezekiel 18, verse 19. Yet say ye, why? And there's a question. Doth not the uh, Son bear the iniquity of the Father? Another question. When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. God says, no. The soul that's in it, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. See, every man is individually responsible. And when God said that back in the book of Exodus, He was talking about... If the trend is set for men to hate him, and the children hate him, and the grandchildren hate him, and then the other generations hate him, then he visits the iniquity of the father upon the children to the third and fourth generation. But here, uh, Ezekiel is telling us that every man, father and son, is individually responsible before God. So don't use the excuse, well, my folks didn't teach me right, and therefore I turned out the way I am. It's your responsibility to change and to accept the Lord and to have God's grace bestowed upon you and and repent of your sins and to turn and do right. There's been many a child that was raised up in in a bad environment that later on was saved by the grace of God and turned out to live the right kind of, of a Christian life. And it's exception, isn't it? Because ordinarily children follow their parents. But you break the rule and accept the grace of God and be a changed person and then set the trend for your children and grandchildren to be brought up right instead of wrong. And that's what should be done. So if you continue to read that, it says, The soul that sinneth it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither, neither shall uh, the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. It says, But if the wicked turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that, that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. He turns. See, even if a wicked person turns, he's going to change everything, isn't he? It says, All his transgression that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. God's going to forget them. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all in uh, at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord, and not that he should return from his ways and live? Then it says, But when the righteous, 
suppose the trend is the other direction and there's righteous, there's a godly parent and godly fathers. When the righteous turneth away from his righteousness, if you have children that turn away and commit iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, follows the path of evil, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he has trespassed, and in his sin that he has sinned, in them shall he die. So it shows the, the individual accountability of every one of us. You know, you don't have anyone to blame for what you are. That's, a, that's a kind of a uh, out-of-the-way statement, some might say. Say, so, well, you know, if my parents have done this, or if so-and-so, or if... Uh, my preacher, or my Sunday school teacher, or somebody else, or that that had done this way, I'd be a good person. You'd be what you, you are, what you are, by the grace of God. And listen, friend, young people especially, if you want your life to count for God, you make up your mind you're going to live right, whether the world does or not, or where anyone else does or not. Be like that memory verse says: "For me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Be determined like Joshua of old. And it's a matter of choice, isn't it? Choose you this day whom you will serve. And so you have to choose, make a choice. And if you make the right choice, stick to it with all that you have. And there are so many things now that, that turn people's minds and hearts and uh, attention and allurements away from the Lord. And it's on every hand, and it's, it's becoming more complicated because it's on television now, and it's on, on your uh, computers, and everywhere in the world, and uh, in every den of vice that's round about. And all of these things become attractive to young people. And the main thing you need to do is, is pray and ask God to give you desires within His Word and in His law and in things that are right, and to have no desire for the things that are wrong. Ask God to take away from you all of those things that would separate you from His presence and His fellowship. And He'll take away. Say, Lord, with Your help, help me not to even want or look upon or desire the things that are evil. I know it's a day when, and I'm kind of getting off of the text here in a way, but not. It's a day in which young people are so pulled on every side to be pulled away from God. That if you don't have a determination, and if you do not make up your mind you really want to live for God, you're going to be drawn away because there's too many things out there to catch your attention. What I started to say was this, that uh, some young people say, well, I want to experiment and find out all I can about life. There are some things you better, you'd be better off if you never even knew about life. Some people say, I want to know everything. You don't need to know everything. And do you know when... When some evil picture is flashed across your mind, it's there from now on, as well as a good picture. It's there somewhere from now on. See, your mind is very sharp, and it stays there. Now, you may can ignore it, and you may get it out of your mind for a while, but it's still there, and it can be recalled. That's why evil, uh, that men are so beset with evil, is because our minds contain all the garbage as well as all the clean things. See, your mind still has that garbage in it that you get, whether it's on television, computers, or otherwise. And there's so much of that uh, pornography and all that that comes across that you better 
limit yourself as to what you look at or you'll be hooked on it. And when you're hooked on it, you're going to be in bad shape. You're going to be in bad shape. Well, what verse was I on? Verse uh, 7. Turn back to Isaiah 65, verse 7. Now let's look at verse 8 and 9. We'll get to 9 and 10. It says, Thus saith the Lord. By the way, when, when the prophets of old spoke, they said, Thus saith the Lord. As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. This new wine was the communal nature of the covenant demanded that guilt and judgment be corporately experienced. And despite this general principle, God was going to be gracious and preserve a remnant. Some of the grapes from the cluster would be saved. He says, there's some that I may not destroy them all. And he's talking in in verse 9 and 10, he's talking about the elect seed. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. And Sharon shall be a fold for flocks, of flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for the herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. What's he saying? Sharon was a plentiful place to feed sheep. It was known as a fruitful place, a very luxurious place for the fold of flocks. And the valley of Achor, Achor means trouble. That's its word in the book of Joshua. You remember Achan's sin was, took place. And it means trouble. But God says here, uh, the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down in for my people that have sought me. He's going to change that. It's going to be a place of much joy and prosperity. You see, God can change your troubles into blessings. This word acar meant trouble, but he changed that to a place where there were blessings. I think I have to see if I have something, uh, just a part of what I had on some of the little things I wanted to give you the other day. gave you one this morning about the, the pastor seeing if the farmer wanted to really support the work. But here's another little thing. Sin will add to your trouble and subtract from your energy and multiply your difficulties. It will add to your trouble, it will subtract from your energy, and it will multiply your difficulties. And so we better kind of be mindful of what it will do. And here, this valley of Achor uh, was going to be, he's going to, he said in another place, he will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. All of our troubles can turn out to be a door of hope. Sometimes we say, I have too many troubles. They may be an open door for hope. There are many places in the Bible that it tells us how we're delivered out of our troubles. The psalmist said he delivered me out of all my troubles. Look at verse 11. It says here, But ye are they that forsake the Lord. Here's the judgment upon the apostates. That forget my holy mountain. That prepare a table for the, that troop. Gad means a troop. And that furnish the drink offering unto that number. Therefore will I number you to the sword, and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear, but did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Look at all that. They had a, their call. When God called, they wouldn't even listen. God will equal their sin with their punishment. Therefore will I number you to the sword. 
the number of their sins would be met with the number of the punishment due to their sins. God will make it all things uh, balance and come out equal. You and I do not know how equal God's scale really is. The Bible says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He'll reap, reap according to the same amount. He'll reap, reap according to the same kind. It'll all come out. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Remember, there was a king in the Old Testament that was taken and they cut off his uh, big toes. And he said, there were, there were ten kings, I believe it was the number, that sat under his table that he had done that very same thing to. And now he had to reap exactly what he sowed. In the very exact same way. You see, God knows what to exact, doesn't he? You go read back and I can find you that reference for you. In the book of Kings. So we find that uh, God is, is able to call to our attention all of our sins. It says in verse 12, Therefore will I number you to the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. See, God calls, and a lot of times people do not answer. He says, When I spake, you did not hear. There's some people don't want to hear what God says. Brother Andy and I have met people and they said, now don't preach to me. Well, that's exactly the thing they need, is being preached to. And you know you have people that they, they want to come, they say, let's have a little meeting here, but don't preach to me. Have you ever heard young people say that? Say, don't preach to me, to mother and daddy. Well, maybe mother and daddy need to do a little preaching to you. And uh, if, you, if it need be, well, listen he said, when I spake, you did not hear, but did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. You chose the wrong way. Look at verse 13. It says, therefore thus saith the Lord God. Now this is the blessings. He begins in verse 13 through 16 to show the blessings upon his servants. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, behold, my servants shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. My servants shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall howl for vexation of spirit. See, God's servants were going to be blessed. My servants could be rendered my worshipers, and they're going to be eating of of the things of God. Eating is one of God's blessings. It's spoken of as eating the good things of God. In verse 15, And you shall leave your name for a curse. The name Jew, which became into prominence after the exile in the Old Testament, may be the name that would be used derogatorily. And it has been. You know, all through the years, the name Jew has been used in a derogatory way. And he says right here, You shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen. For the Lord God shall slay thee and call his servants by another name. Look at verse 16. That he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hid from mine eyes. Praising God for his benefits. Blessing God. The God of truth is literally the God of amen. God alone will be appealed to in oaths. God says his name is not to be taken in vain either. 
Remember, that's one of the commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It says that God will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We have people today that take God's name in vain and may be very unmindful of it at some times. Using the name of God in uh, jest or in uh, slander or in any way that is not to glorify him is to take, take his name in vain. And we have so many of these uh, things on television that just take the name of God in vain. Even when they just say, Oh God. And I, dare, I hesitate to even repeat some of the things. When they're exclaiming about something else that's not bringing glory to God, you don't say, Oh God, in that way. And as I said, I hesitate to even repeat it and use it that way. I used to work with a man and every other word was using the name God's name in vain. He was always that way. And some people use it so automatically that they think nothing at all of it. It's just a matter of speech to them. But it's still wrong in the sight of God. And it's still, uh, God is going to hold people accountable for the way they use His name. Okay? It says in verse 16, well, we read verse 16. Verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. God says He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And we find that in the book of Second Peter and also in the book of Revelation. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for a new heaven, for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And then in the book of Revelation, also we find in chapter 21, it says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. We find that in the book of Revelation, and in the eternal state of things, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Someone says, what will happen to this earth? It will be renovated, and it will be new in the sense it will be perfectly cleansed. See, God is not going to destroy this earth as such, but destroy it as to cleanse it. The Bible teaches that the earth remaineth forever. And Jesus is coming back from the heavens to this earth to establish His glorious kingdom upon this earth. In Revelation chapter 19, on a great white stallion, and the armies of heaven are going to follow Him, and He's going to fight the battle of the end of time. And then he's going to set up a kingdom. There's going to be a thousand year reign of righteousness and peace upon this earth. And that's what it's talking about here. And he says, the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind. And that's going to relieve us of a lot of worry, isn't it? Remember in hell, the Bible says, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And the rich man lifted up his eyes and in hell he lifted up his eyes and And Father Abraham's son, remember that thou in thy lifetime, and remembering thy lifetime is going to be the, the torment of that rich man, a part of his torment. But he says, for you and I, the former troubles will be forgotten. And he says that the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. But ye shall, ye shall be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. Now look at this verse. I want to close with this verse because our time is about gone, but there's something very important I'd like to say about verse 19. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. 
And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her. The voice of weeping, nor the voice of crying. The voice of weeping shall no be, be no more heard in her. There's going to be a time that the voice of weeping and sorrow will be at an end. There was a very dear friend of mine that gave me a copy of something that Spurgeon had written in some of his daily devotions on this very verse, Isaiah 65, verse 19. The voice of weeping shall be no more heard. And it was sent to me when Darlene, my daughter, passed away. And I want to read it to you. It says, The glorified weep no more, for all outward causes of grief are gone. There are no broken friendships nor blighted prospects in heaven. Poverty, fame, peril, persecution, and slander are unknown there. No pain distresses, no thought of death or bereavement saddens. They weep no more, for they are perfectly sanctified. No evil heart of unbelief prompts them to depart from the living God. They are without fault before His throne and are fully conformed to His image. Well, may they cease to mourn who have ceased to sin. They weep no more because all fear of change is past. They know that they are eternally secure. Sin is shut out, and they are shut in. They dwell within a city which shall never be stormed. They bask in a sun which shall never set. They drink of a river which shall never dry. They pluck fruit from a tree which shall never wither. Countless island uh, cycles may revolve, but eternity shall not be exalted. And while eternity endures, their immortality and blessedness shall coexist with it. They are forever with the Lord. They weep no more because every desire is fulfilled. They cannot wish for anything which they have not in possession. Eye and ear, heart and hand, judgment, imagination, hope, desire, will, all the faculties are completely satisfied. And imperfect as our present ideas are of the things which God has prepared for them that love Him, Yet we know enough by the revelation of the Spirit that the saints above are supremely blessed. The joy of Christ, which is an infinite fullness of delight, is in them. They bathe themselves in the bottomless, shoreless sea of infinite beatitude. That same joyful rest remains for us. It may not be far distant. Ere long the weeping willow shall be exchanged for the palm branch of victory and sorrow's dewdrops will be transformed into pearls of everlasting bliss. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Thank you. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer.